to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. My name is Selena Godden and I'm here in my kitchen with Amarose Abrams and Matt Abbott. And we're going to bring you the best of our picks of arts and culture, books and poetry and activism and music. We have a jam-packed show for you today, but let's kick off with a little bit of Silly Games.
Lovely Games by Janet Kay. We had to play that because we are loving uh, all that Steve McQueen is doing with Small Axe. If you are the big tree, we are the Small Axe. If you've been watching it, it's on BBC. It's a five-part anthology series um, which encompasses true stories from the late 60s to the mid-80s. The films each tell a story involving London's West Indian community, a celebration of black joy, beauty, friendship, love, music and food, despite subjection to rampant racism and discrimination. I've been loving it and I'm really looking forward to the next episode um which is uh, uh red white and blue which airs this sunday how have yeah. you been finding the show i've been really enjoying it red white and blue is the big one hasn't it because it has john boyega in it but i kind of i was waiting for it to come on with like lots of anticipation i was always a bit nervous i think because we as a community we are used to seeing when it stuff focuses on the West Indian community it's often a lot of violence and a lot of vile language and stuff like that and after this summer I was kind of a little bit bracing myself for something that I was going to find quite uncomfortable Mm. um, seeing and hearing more of that you know but I was surprised I didn't feel like that at all I felt very um, I felt like it I felt like all of the kind of focus especially in the in mangrove in the first one i felt like the focus on the violence was done really well because it was always there was no gratuitous actual punching of people but you saw the anger and felt the frustration of the people who were being wronged Mm. and um and it's just and with lovers rock I really love just seeing all the happy people. And then I was like, have I ever actually seen a dance floor scene with all black men going mental, going crazy, losing it, Mm. flinging around with no kind of like ambient kind of darkness lurking in the background? I don't know if that I have. And I just really, really enjoyed all of that. And the racism was there, but I didn't feel like it was someone screaming it in my face, Mm. which is sometimes how I feel. Mm. What did you think, Matt? Yeah, I think, like you say, the way that they've um, presented it and there's so much love and positivity. And unfortunately, like you've said in the past, uh, there's always a lot of a dark undertone to it and mm. there's often a lot of violence. And say, like, the West Indian community would be the other people in the story and maybe put there for a negative reason. Obviously, this is the total opposite and it's just so refreshing to see that perspective and to feel a different emotion running throughout the whole episode. Yes, and the thing as I wanted to say about Steve McQueen is because he's an artist, it's beautiful. Mm. He really understands aesthetics and its power and I love that obviously that beautiful scene with Silly Games with the hands. Yes. Just all the hands taking each other and some hands saying yes, some hands saying maybe next time, some <laughs> hands saying get off. But yeah. like all very kind of beautiful and gentle and um, yeah, I mean you can't you can't get away from just how lovely it looks. Yeah, and it's no surprise to me that Courtier Newland wrote the uh, Lovers Rock one and has also written the new one that's coming up, the red, white and blue one. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Courtier. Um, we share an agent with Own It and also um, a publisher with Canongate. Um, so I'm, I'm really sort of cheering by the sidelines for him for this one. Yeah. So we had Courtier on in June and we've got an excerpt of him reading from his novel, which is coming out in January... January the 7th with Canongate. The new novel is A River Called Time. And so we're going to revisit that clip now. Let's have a little listen to Courtier now. The alarm gave Marcus a jolt he blamed on his body clock at first until he recognised the beeping. He disengaged the covering, hit stop 
knocking the lightweight melatonin bottle over in the same movement, yawning as he wiped his eyes, stepping from the sleeper before he had time to think. The tiled floor against his feet accelerated his waking state. He made for the bathroom without slippers, relishing cold. Marcus passed the living room window, fully aware of turning his head, unable to look, feeling only partial shame. He ignored the manual switch that controlled his ceiling lights, normally set to his favourite cloud and blue sky simulation, entering the bathroom and turning the, turning the dial on his power shower, anticipating nothing until he walked into the cubicle with a sigh, cold water touching his skin. Soon he stood beneath a fierce cascade that slowed to a feeble trickle after exactly eight minutes. He got out and, on a whim, shaved his chin bare. He found a large towel and dried himself, wrapping it around his waist while he moved towards the kitchen. His cereal bowl was full when he wandered into the living room. The room was consumed by lack of light, empty enough to cross without banging a limb against any furniture. A sofa, an easy chair, a small coffee table, a BS and music centre embedded in a far wall. The flat was featureless, apart from those few items. There was next to no sign anyone lived there at all. He crossed the expansive living room floor, hearing dogs bark on streets below. Rustles and the clatter of materials nosed and tugged, scavenging, no doubt. Further away, a high-pitched sound of a car alarm echoed, faint as the drip of a tap, equally relentless. He listened, hoping the sounds would cease. When they did not, he shook his head. Marcus approached the window, pushing a button. Nothing. Cursing, he pulled at the curtains until they came apart in angry jerks, revealing more tiles, a ledge. Of course, the mainline power was cut. He'd forgotten for a moment. No oral connection or peripherals, backup generators only powering housing essentials. Connection was considered a luxury in his zone. He leant forward, raising himself to take a first look outside. The riot had only lasted a night, but the damage was extensive. Block after block of mayhem lay beneath him. The apartment allocation was on the 15th floor, giving an unobstructed view, unobstructed view of the surrounding area. His adopted town was demon ugly. Smoke rose from numerous places. Cars and trucks flipped upside down like bugs left to die on their backs. Shop windows were smashed while in others, fitful lights were flashing strobes beneath passing clouds of smoke. He tried to convince himself that they gave the town a magical glow. It looked more like the end of the world. Last night there had been a football game, the winning supporters deciding to have an impromptu party on Prospect Road. First the people gathered, dancing to music, women hitching skirts to fires and bending low, scuffing behinds on pavements. Men yelled and drank more beer, more tequila, throwing empty bottles and cans against walls, grabbing partners they desired, moving with them. Someone climbed the roadside, shaking it hard enough to bend. The crowd pummeled the sign into pieces before throwing them at the nearest grocery store window. When glass broke, people surged inside, eager to steal. Others fought. Markish and Chilise watched rioters burn and loot, trying to reassure each other they wouldn't be killed. Although Prospect Towers gave relative comfort, it also made them an easy target for the less fortunate. There had been riots where people in the towers had been murdered in order to appease jealous anger. Tied up, burnt, beaten, throats cut. Since those days extra measures were taken and residential security was tightened to an almost frustrating degree. Yet Marcus never quite fooled himself into feeling safe. 
dead frozen by his window, watching the crowd spread through shadowed streets, joining friends and family from nearby blocks. It seemed as though every back alley and main road was filled with people, screams, the sound of everything breaking at once. In the confines of their level, the noises echoed and bounced back to find them. Soon they hugged in fear, Chinache shivering beneath him like an injured bird. She was an earnest young woman, Lotse by descent, a photographer, art, a photographer for art light, though she refused to record what they saw. They ate, drank and talked until half past three, when the riots moved from their block. Chinache left for her own allocation. He remained at the window for another half hour before retiring to bed. That was Cartier Newland with a reading from his highly anticipated novel A River Called Time, which is published by Canongate in January. Uh, so now I'm going to give you a roundup from the world of spoken word poetry. I'm going to start off with five events which you should look out for in the next couple of weeks. So the first one is on Monday, the 30th of November, uh, and it's by an organisation called Spork, S-P-O-R-K, um, and it's called Queer and Still Here. So it features uh, feature sets and open mic from Jasmine Gardozzi, Stanley Ianu, and somebody whose stage name is 1990s Chris. 1990S Chris, which I think is quite an interesting stage name. Um, so that's free. It's on Monday night from 7 till 8.30. You can get tickets through Eventbrite. Uh, so number two, Apples and Snakes, their at-home series. It's the final episode on Thursday, the 3rd of December. Um, the whole series is focused on black and brown poets living around England. Um, and in this episode, we've got C Sharp and Fatima Zara, as well as a poem fill commission from Satare Ebrahimi and Bridget Minimore on hosting duties. And if you've missed any of, your, any of the other episodes, um, I very much recommend you checking them out on YouTube. So if you just go to the Apples and Snakes YouTube channel, um, you can watch all of them back. They're really, really good episodes. Uh, so number three, it also goes out on the 3rd of December, but it's in Washington, um, as in Washington in America, not the one near Sunderland. So you might want to catch up over the next few days. It's called We Speak Festival. It's um, poetry, spoken word, a little bit of slam, um, but it features Andrea Gibson, Shane Koiksan and Jericho Brown. Uh, it's pay what you can with tickets from $5 and you can watch it online up until the 7th. So if you don't want to stay up all night, check that out. It's called We Speak Festival. Uh, number four, it's on Thursday the 10th of December and it's called Spitfire. So it features Joel Taylor, Zena Edwards, Melanie Branton, Tina Sederholm and it's hosted by Cat Lyons. So that's called Spitfire, Thursday the 10th of December from 8 till 9.30pm. Uh, standard tickets are £6. If you can afford to pay it forward, you can buy one for £9 and concessions are £3. So it's an absolute bargain to see those poets. I very much recommend it. However, um, on the same night, I'm doing an event, uh, Thursday the 10th of December, uh, Nims and Folks, my record label, we've signed four new poets. Um, they've been delivering workshops with underrepresented communities, and then I've commissioned them to write a response to those workshops with an artist from a different art form. So it might be an illustrator, it might be soundscapes, uh, some of its movement. So on Thursday the 10th, we're going to do a premiere event where I chat to each of the artists about the project and then share my screen and play the commissioned piece. So that's going to be on Facebook Live, which means you can watch it back anytime. So if you want to watch Spitfire and then watch that afterwards, you'll be able to who, do so. Who are your four artists, Matt? Your four new artists? Who are my new label mates? That's not been announced yet anywhere, oh. but maybe I could announce it on Roaring Twenties Radio. I don't know. Should I give you a world exclusive now? Yeah, I can do. All right. So, um, Sahima Manzur Khan, Woo. Sean Mahoney, Siley Katebi, and Kirsty Taylor. Oh, amazing. They are the four poets. Congratulations. They are. So I've... now the, the 
then the Rosenberg's family has grown by four. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Um, these are incredible poets. I'm really happy to be working with them. Um, some of the workshops have been delivered have been absolutely vital, and the commissions are just stunning as well. Um, it really excites me seeing all these different things sort of coming together. Um, it's one of them things that looks good on paper and then you put it out in the world and you're like, ah, but it really worked. Wow, so I'm buzzing about that, like a premiere event. And then the four tracks will be released as singles on the 11th. So, yeah. And it's all been done online in response to COVID and all that sort oh, of stuff. So, so cool. Yeah, buzzing. Um, and then the last thing I was going to mention, uh, no, that was the last thing I was going to mention in terms of events. So there are five events you should check out. Um, I'm going to tweet links to all these and Nymphs and Fugs have shared them already. But also, this event, uh, well, it's not actually an event, but it's something you need to check out online now. So there's um, an online exhibition at 198.org.uk, and it's called Who is Polystyrene? Um, it's live until the 29th, um, being put on by your local arena, and it features uh, a poem by Selena, and also a poem by Zena Edwards, as well as uh, a masterclass and a film and loads of other content. So you should check that out online. It's free. It's 198.org.uk. Who is Polystyrene? You've yeah. got to check that out. And Polystyrene, for those who don't know, is the lead singer of X-Ray Specs, punk icon, cultural trailblazer, and just a really interesting, fun woman. <laughs> yeah, absolute icon, counterculture icon. So yeah, definitely check that out. That's on until the 29th. Um, okay, so content-wise, uh, Tung Fu, we've spoken about them a few times over the last few months. Their album came out yesterday, so it's their de debut album called Boat Building. It's been three years in the making, 11 tracks which fuse music and some of the best poets in the world. Uh, it's out digitally and it's also out on vinyl, so you should definitely check that out. That's Tung Fu's Boat Building album. Um, another album that came out yesterday, Jevy Carver and the Unsung. Um, so it's called A Beautiful Way to Be Crazy, and it's about um, female experiences in the music industry. So Jevy is an incredible poet, and what she does is she writes these uh, amazing biographical poems, and then, similar to Tung Fu, really, they interpret it with, with live music, and the new album is absolutely fantastic. So that came out yesterday, di uh, digitally. Um, Jevy Carver and the Unsung, A Beautiful Way to Be Crazy, so you should check that out. Another thing you should check out um, was from NTS Radio. So recently, NTS Radio teamed up with Mont Blanc to do uh, a free-flow radio show, and it features some incredible poetry. Uh, it's got Benjamin Zephaniah, Lionheart, Will Harris, um, Mary Jean Chang, um, Sophia Thakur, loads of amazing. It's like a two-hour special. You can listen back for free on their website, NTS Radio's website. It's stunning. Um, Penguin Books have been doing some really good talks recently, um, and they did a talk recently called Why Poetry Belongs to All of Us with um, Caleb Femi and uh, Zawi Ashton. So it's like an hour-long conversation with Caleb and Zawi talking about why poetry belongs to all of us. It's just, it's it's the perfect 2020 chat. It's, it's really, really, um, a really, really great watch. Um, a single that I want to shout about is by Craft D. So I know Craft D through Raise the Bar, which is a really good night in Bristol. Um, but Craft D is also a rapper, and he released a track called Letter to Corbin, and it reached number 24 in the UK download chart, just entirely on his own, no record label, nothing. Um, it's had hundreds of thousands of views online. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn himself has seen it. It's a great track. A uh, bit of angry um, political content for you out there. I, I think it's really, really good from Craft D. We're going to listen to that track now, and then straight after that we'll have a poem by a fantastic poet called Casey Bailey with a poem called Waking. But up first, this is Crafty with Letter to Corbin. Thousands more deaths in Iraq will not make things right. It will set off a spiral 
of conflict, of hate, of misery, of desperation that will fuel the wars, the conflict, the terrorism, the depression and the misery of future generations. February 15th, 2003 Eight years old, I walked out with the biggest crowd on the street You poured your heart into Hyde Park We were wild with a speech Opposed the war and defended the powerless powerfully Fifteen years later, I met you The man we've always known you are No camera crew attached to you Just there supporting local art Showing heart, you spoke to everybody in the room Then I turned on the telly Saw those topics in the news Cropping and chopping you into a sacrificial lamb How they said you of all people were anti this and that How it never stopped you carrying in that Palestinian flag, the man we didn't deserve But the man I wish we'd had should have been leader for years If not the leeches for peers and media smears Misleading people all feeding their fears When we think of those dying we cry the deepest of tears Knowing how much you'd have cared for them Has that dream disappeared? No, cause you changed the way of thinking A collective state of mind You elevated lives, I know you elevated mine Inspired belief into people who'd have never raised a sign And we'll see the fruits of your labour in a generation's time The many in the streets who sang let's vote Labor, took the fight to the front door from the echo chamber You gave voices to the dead lives that never made the headlines History will forget lies and paint you in the best light And at the very least, this could be the learning curve You changed politics from a dirty word for circle jerks You were the early bird out here unearthing worms Next time their words won't hurt cause we've already heard the worst 2017 MPs in senior positions Worked against their own party seeking division Cornered the cause, call it corporate corporal punishment too and a half thousand votes from forming a government December 12, 2019 I'm awake all night just thinking of the vulnerable people sentenced that day to die for five years of a prejudiced killer and callous ways of life next day I read Tommy Corbyn's letter and it made me cry thank you for empowering the people with empty hands thank you for believing we can dream of a better land thank you for being you and helping me be a better man the best MP we ever had and PM we never had thank you Corbyn for all the hope you've inspired thank you Corbyn for showing the slight and stoking the fires Thank you Corbyn And sorry the country voted for liars Thank you Corbyn Thank you Corbyn Thank you Corbyn For all the hope you've inspired Thank you Corbyn For showing us light and stoking the fires Thank you Corbyn And sorry the country voted for liars Thank you Corbyn Thank you Corbyn Rise like lions after slumber In unvanquishable number Shake your chains Earth like Jew, which in sleep had fallen on you. Ye are many, they are few. Waking. There is a violence to her tossing and turning that speaks to an ingrained experience of the thing. Her eyes' shut tight whimper relays echoes of the gunshots thundering through her mind. Burst berries sprayed across his jumper like they used to when she fed him at that high chair. Now high-pitched screams reach up to pull his ascending soul back. She is fired from the barrel of her bed, too quick to feel the wet of a tear-soaked pillowcase. She's racing to a room, searching for a boy who isn't there. He's never been there. She moved to this house to escape his ghost, to save his brother, to sleep until morning. 
Uh, that was Letter to Corbin by Craft D, followed by Waking by Casey Bailey. Um, so I'm now I'm going to give you some recommendations for books that you can buy for the poetry lover in your life, or even just treat yourself because you're buying everybody else presents. Um, first up is a book called Bedtime Stories for the End of the World. Um, this is a, a book containing poems and short stories by Joel Taylor, Malika Booker, Kayo Chingonyi, Will Harris, Helen Moore and Inua Ellums and it's six traditional tales retold in a contemporary style. It's published by Templar Books and it's out now. That's Bedtime Stories for the End of the World. It looks beautiful. Uh, next, I want to mention a, a poetry collection by Elise Hadgraft. So it's like a double-ended collection, sort of like a double album. Um, the first half is called Now There Are No More Love Songs, and the second half is called Mount Olympus Is Empty. Uh, it's published by Verve Poetry Press, and I did an Insta session with Elise recently, and she's fantastic. She's a wonderful poet, she's uh, got a beautiful range of styles, and this collection really showcases both of those styles. I love them. Um, I've just said she's got a range of styles of and said it showcases both, which sort of contradicts itself. But <laughs> A range of two. <laughs> a range of two. Now, she's got a wide range of styles, but by splitting the collection into two, it really gives her... It really allows her to really str- go down these two avenues containing the different styles. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, uh, another anthology is called Un Nuevo Sol, and it's by British Latinx writers. It was published by Flip Tide last year, but I want to give it a shout out because it's my favourite poetry anthology that I've read this year, Un Nuevo Sol by Flip Tide. Uh, Luke Wright has published a book called The Ballad Seller recently. It's illustrated by Ma- Martin Rousen from The Guardian. It's a lot of traditional Georgian stories retold. So in Georgian days, before newspapers were commonplace, um, a lot of storytellers would stand on corners and talk about scandal and politics and stuff like that. So Luke has sort of reimagined some of these stories in this new collection. So that's called The Ballad Seller, and you can buy it direct from Luke, signed copies for a tenner. And then the last collection that I want to mention is by Amira Leon. It's called Concrete Kids. Um, It's published by Penguin on the 1st of November. It's part of their Pocket Change Collective, which is a lot of uh, brand new writers. Uh, It's a stunning collection. Amira Leon is a beautiful poet from New York, uh, so you should check that out. It's called Concrete Kids. And now we're going to have some book recommendations from Selena. Hello, hello. Okay, so I've got a lot to get through, but I'll try and go as slowly as possible and clearly as possible. First off, I'm very excited to see that the singer-songwriter Catherine Williams has completed a debut novel. It's called The Omering Tide, and it's just gone to pre-order just yesterday. It's on Wrecking Ball Press, so make sure you get that. She's such an amazing singer-songwriter. I'm really excited to see what she's going to do with the novel. I've also been really loving all the amazing new books that are coming out with Blue Moose Books this year. Um, earlier this year we had Heidi James but they have so much good stuff coming coming through. There's Leonard and Hungry Paul which has obviously been winning loads of things and everyone's buzzing about that but I'm also really interested to check out Should We Fall Behind by Sharon Dougal and East Coast Road by Hannah, Anna, sorry Anna, Anna Chilvers. So check out Blue Moose Books, support indie. I just think they've got some lovely stuff coming through. Jenny Fagin has a, has a new novel coming out in January, Luck and Tooth. I'm really hoping to get Jenny on the show, maybe in the December show or the January show. So that's going to be coming out in January, one to watch. Um, also one to watch and one that's got a lot of buzz that I'm quite interested in is Grace Dent, Hungry, a memoir of wanting more. Um, I just saw her, t- I saw her reading from it on TV the other day. And I just think it's so good and it just looks great. And I just want, I, I really love that. Um, and just on personal reading list, I'm really into Mary Gatskill. This, uh, this I've been reading um, the Lost Cat, 
and that's been keeping me very happy. Um, and also on my book pile, I'll finish with this, Silence is a Sense by Leila Alamar, who I also hope to be having on the show. Sorry, let me check I got that name right. Leila Alam- Alamar, yes. And um, it's a book about migration, trauma, and the healing power of community. Silence is a Sense. So hopefully I'll be able to get Leila on the show. Now, I have been loving the fantastic new little mini novelettes that have been coming out with Open Pen. Um, You might remember earlier in the show, earlier this um, year, we had um, Will Ashen. So this one is by Sarah Manville, and it's called You Ruin It When You Talk. It's their seventh novelette, and it's the second in the current series. It's just come out yesterday. Um, It was also Sarah's birthday. Happy birthday, Sarah. You Ruin It When You Talk is a series of anecdotes, passages, micro-fictions that weave the tale of bisexual American migrant in London and the painfully funny and far too often just painful experiences um, with would-be romantic partners. This brutal account of modern manners skewers the chicken fillets of romantic literature with stiletto sharp heels. I just loved it. I ate it in one reading. You know when you don't want to put something down. So Sarah sent some readings over and let's have a little listen to a little snippet of you ruin it when you talk. His desk was near mine for a long time. I knew he liked me because in the pub he had a tendency to slosh his drink over my breasts, but he never once made a pass. This was unusual because women of my nationality are his type. He spent months dating another American colleague in secrecy until the day they were caught snugging in the lift. But they broke up and I would bump into him out and about with other Americans, flirting like crazy with every other American but never once a sniff at me. A while after he left for a new job, he showed up at the local with his new one. When the brick shithouse cornered her, I seized my chance. Look, I'm not making a move, but the whole time I've known you, I've watched you crack onto every other American within five miles of here except me. Why not? He choked on his drink hard enough I had to slap him on the back. Once he recovered, he shook his head and said, I thought you were Canadian. The Scot took me to a barbecue in Stoke Newington so I could meet his London friends. They weren't welcoming. Everyone kept refreshing each other's drinks, but not mine. The Scot was outside somewhere, or something, when the mothers I'd been trying to chat to made a collective excuse. I found myself alone in the sitting room. I took a few deep breaths, then got up and went outside. A few of the gang were cheering on the lads who'd found a rugby ball and were threatening the flower beds. So how long have you lived in London? One of them said to me. I brightened. About 15 years. Do you go home much? I am home. He snorted. I looked at him closely and said, well, I feel like I belong anyway. You'll never sound like it, love, he said, and turned away.
Welcome back. You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio, and that was a track called 1618 by Charlotte Adigerie. And now we're going to go back to some book recommendations. The next book I'd like to talk to you about is Edward Carey's The Swallowed Man. It's such a fascinating um, premise. It begins with Edward Carey um, imagining the years uh, Geppetto... Geppetto? How do you say Geppetto? Geppetto. Geppetto, I'm sorry. You got it right first time. Spent... uh, Anyway... Pinocchio's dad, in yes. other words, spends within the belly of a sea beast devoured while searching for his lost son. In absolute isolation, Geppetto occupies himself by writing, reminiscing about his childhood and his lost loves. It's such a beautiful book. I think it's amazing. So let's have a little clip from Edward Carey. Here he is. I am writing this account in another man's book by candlelight inside the belly of a fish. I have been eaten. I have been eaten, yet I am living still. I have tried to get out. I have made many attempts, but I must conclude that it is not possible. I am trapped within an enormous creature and am slowly being digested. I have found a strange place to exist, a cave between life and death. It is an unhappy miracle. I am afraid of the dark. The dark is coming for me. I have candles, they are my small protection, and I have this purloined book that I shall slowly fill. Before the last candle dies, I'll tell my tale. I give you fair warning, I can boast you no battlefields, this is no murderer's story, there is no great romance. But before all this, back on land, I did an extraordinary thing, an impossible thing. And for that thing, in order that the world may be put back in balance, I am now paying a severe cost. I shall tell my terrible shame, my tale of the supernatural, though so devastatingly real. A monster fish has swallowed me, a shark or a relative of that species. I am no expert. It is no small basking shark that has thus contained me. I say that straight. No catfish with grand opinions of himself. I have been taken by a colossus, perhaps the largest of its kind that ever was, perhaps the last surviving megalodon of prehistoric vintage. Deep in such a thing do I dwell. I had heard of this monster beast. This hunger creature, ere I braved the waters, did I head out in a large military vessel equipped with cannon and musket, with harpoon and barbed hook? No, I must own I did not. I set forth into the watery world on a dinghy, a rather ancient craft. It floated, it was seaworthy, so long as the sea was in good humour. I went out because someone had told me, was it a cruel joke? I wonder now, that my own son was on the water in distress, and I wanted him back. I wanted to be clear to save him, but I did not save him. Of that I am most keenly aware. I bought a small boat. It seemed a solid boat to me, but I am ignorant of such matters, and the further I rowed, the less certain I was. Some miles out, the water began to move strangely. Waves when before it had been calm, my little boat rocking, soon some water spilling in an increasing storm upon me, my little boat trembling more and more, and then waves breaking, the sea opening as if it were boiling, and then 
a great mouth itself was upon me, the whole rushing forwards, the living tunnel hurtling unto me, such a size, no hope against such a thing, like the world had erupted. The sea creature, colossus, flesh, mountain, I saw it only fleetingly for a handful of seconds, like Moses, it split the water, and suddenly before me was a great black depth. I fell, for there was no alternative towards it and within it into the very mouth. I saw its teeth arranged in rows two or three deep a graveyard. On I fell out and away from everything I knew, confined, constricted, stolen. How shall I ever find him now? I shall never see him again. And that was an excerpt from Edward Carey's The Swallowed Man. I really highly recommend that for a Christmas present. Edward Carey is a novelist, visual artist and playwright. He's the author of three acclaimed novels um, and he's published in 19 countries and was long listed for the International Dublin Literary Award. And so many, the award, the award list here in front of me is, is just forever. It's a long, long list. So an amazing book by a, an amazing writer. So I highly recommend that. Now I'd like to talk to you about a poet and a writer and a great friend of mine, Daniel Cockrell. Daniel Cockrell's words have appeared in books, newspapers, magazines, on gallery walls, and have been spoken out loud on stage, radio and television. He's co-founder of Bang Said The Gun. How much I miss you, Bang Said The Gun. The most amazing live, live events and so much fun. I'm really missing Bang Said The Gun in lockdown. He's also the host of Poet Waffle, a podcast where he invites poets round to his house for an intimate chat. He lives and works in London. Do you know that this year he has produced 11 books? Two of those have been with publishers, Notes on Loneliness by Burning Eye Books and Buying Christmas Trees with Bobby Gillespie Piper Press. The other nine books are all part of his unproduced lo-fi series. The project is a bit like, he says, the project is a bit like recording songs in your bedroom on a four-track tape machine and you can hear the hiss of the tape, the bum notes, but the energy and the soul is still very much attached. I mean, check out the titles to these. I think they're amazing. Really lovely titles. So some of the titles include Velodrome Racer 95, Dynamite Balloon, Pig Onion, Telescope Moon Man and the Gaga Ladies of Gloom, Felt Tip Test Centre, Eight Minute Old Sun, Some Things Mean A Lot and Some Things Mean Nothing At All, High Art of the Underclassed and his latest is Murmuration, a visual exploration of the word Starling where he writes the word Starling over and over thousands of times throughout the book, creating a pattern resembling a murmuration. I absolutely love Dan Cockrell's work. So let's give it up for Dan. Coming up, I'm going to play a song called... Um, a song recorded with his friend uh, Julian Ward when they play together they're called Speed of Asteroids and I'm also going to play you a poem so stick around now for some for a little bit of little bit of magic from Daniel Shedd solar system your clove planets swirling perfectly round your blazing body comets shooting from your eyes and hitting my dead moon soul your thoughts spinning like satellites through your ears and out your mouth 
distant radio signals from another galaxy and my words find you and fall like black holes as I sit back and watch the seasons fold and twist around you like playing cards. temperature of one or two degrees causes devastation but we'll treat it like thunder we'll pretend it's the clouds bashing together earth seen from a spaceship is like an atomic bomb mushroom cloud it looks beautiful from a distance but close up when you're in it it's like burning ants with a magnifying glass focusing the sun's rays on their armored backs and setting them on fire. Twenties radio. Uh, this is a poem from a book called Telescope Moon Man and the Gaga Ladies of Gloom. It was so cold it began to snow, but the snow was actually sawdust floating down from a nearby building site. Funny how we reduce ourselves to a single emotion sad, angry, happy, serious, silent, still, like an emoji symbol as if life is a comment on a Facebook thread. We can't explain ourselves properly if we are all things, if we are complicated, complex. I'm angry, happy, sad, sick, silent, all at once. I feel everything. I even feel you who is lost and forgotten on a boat, in a truck, in a tent. You who have seen horrors in real life that I have only seen on a Facebook thread and I reduce myself to a single emotion. 
So that was Daniel Cockrell, um, a song and a poem from his shed. Um, I just want to tell you that Bang Said the Gun are making a huge advent calendar for the Frank Isop shop window in Walthamstow Village. The calendar contains 24 Bang Said the Gun objects and poems. A new window opens every day on the lead up to a very big Bang Xmas. Um, I mean, he can't wait to get back into the studio with some more intimate chat and inviting poets back in for the poet waffle shed when we're allowed to mix again. Thanks so much for sending all of that in, Dan. Daniel Cockrell. I love that. I love DIY. I love people just using initiative and, and just making something out of nothing because that's kind of what we've got to do now. Um, that's what we were doing anyway, but with lockdown, all of that has just really just come to a head to just sort of be creative in your own kitchen and make, you know, make your own living room be a theatre. Yeah, I think it's removed a lot of the traditional barriers. Like people might not think about producing a podcast or even their own pamphlet like Dan has without a publisher or without this, without that. And I think it, it's given people more confidence to be independent in that way and sort of create their own content and put it out there. Um, and it, I don't think it's ever been better for poetry content, really. Yeah. You know, poem films, collections, pamphlets. It's, it's amazing, yeah. And the thing I think is also really wonderful is I think people's... Um, perceptions are slightly different like I think people are more understanding if something's a bit fuzzy or DIY sounding or it just doesn't factor anymore no one's expecting everything to be super slick and I think people stuff that just sounds and is authentic is what is speaking to people at the moment and I I think it means that people's minds are opening up to Mm. different things yeah Mm. I think there's more also the human connection like you can almost picture Dan making those books at home on his own and so when you buy it you really feel that connection with Dan and when something is more DIY you feel because you know where it's come from whereas you know if you just buy something from a bookshop there's not as much of a and I think now we appreciate that a lot more because we're also disconnected physically Mm. I mean I I will say I am finding it really challenging because I I I I love that. I love the whole thing of going out, going to a theatre or a venue and performing and the, the connection with people, the sound, you know, feeling their energy. And as you know, I ad lib and I improvise a lot in my gigs and I never do the same poem the same way twice. So I'm find, I'm actually finding it very challenging to switch, to invite people into the space, which is my private secret writing room and and sort of perform i've always sort of said i've got two wives the brunette who does all the work and then the blonde that gets all the applause and is the show off and so it's kind of like in, in inviting people into my introvert space into the brunette in you know my hooded top like at home and then trying to you know sort of not be the monster in my own home so that's i'm finding that transition really strange the monster is very much in a box yeah i've been the brunette like for a whole year so it's the longest i've been in introvert writer mode and finding it i must say i find it really challenging but going back to diy what have you got over there you you brought some more things in matt yeah well as well as diy obviously we've got loads of great independent publishers in the uk and it's important to say that a lot of these publishers are having winter sales and doing their own sort of black friday sales so rather than buying from the big evil corporations that we all know of either bookshop.org.uk or direct Um, And I've got a poem by Bridget Hart. So Bridget Hart is involved with Burning Eye Books, who we've mentioned before. One of the best poetry publishers in the UK, I think. Wonderful, independent spirit. Um, But Bridget is also a wonderful poet, and they've got a collection coming out soon about Greece, as in the film. Um, So they've (laughs) written this poem called Jan from their collection about Greece. This is Bridget Hart. Jan. 
Just now in class, I'm sure I heard a chick say she kissed her girlfriend on the mouth for the thrill of it. The rest lost with the bell. In the bathroom, people think I am ashamed of my body because I wear my brother's old jumpers. I have never learnt to preen in the mirror like the others. I watch. They don't mind me, head down, rolling cigarettes. I can't stop thinking about what I hear in class. Ladies folding into each other like paper swans at the end of a wedding table this summer. Gold tulips blinding the guests to my sister's shutgun marriage to her office manager called Stephen. While the drinks are gratefully topped up, our free hands are squeezing each other's knees, firmly telling the other when the moment is right. We toast for my sister, your uncle, until it's over, and the church hall is cold beneath my back as your smile fills my cunt and we make vows we won't keep. The bell rings, and we are in our pink chariot, squinting into a low sun, I tuck my knuckles into my jumper sleeves. The weather is turning, but my cheeks are still burning from summer loving with no song or dance about it. Hi, welcome back. This is Emma Rose. You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. And coming up now, we have an interview um, I did earlier this week with the artist Matab Hussain about the exhibition Face to Face, um, which is you can still see t- um, until tomorrow evening in the King's Cross Tunnel that leads you into kind of Granary Square. And so it's an outside space. It's an exhibition you can see before things start to open up next week. And it is kind of, it's a free public exhibition of social documentary and portrait photography curated by the amazing Echo Eschen. And it's raising money with further fund for global human rights. The way that you can raise, the way that you can donate is via a, um, a sale of prints, which you can get via their, um, their website, basically. um, So if you just look up the Fund for Global Human Rights and there's more details about how you can find those prints if you're interested during the interview. The exhibition features art by Alejandro Cartanega, Margaret Courtney Clark, Medina Duggar, Matab Hussein, Driv Malotra, Sabello Malengi, Georgia Sodi and Kyle Weeks. So it's really beautiful, a lot of photo- photographs that you can go down and see in person tomorrow or you can look up the show online. So here is me talking to Matab Hussain earlier this week. Oh, hello. Um, welcome to Roaring Twenties Radio, Matab Hussain. Matab is, uh, is an artist working, um, I think, predominantly, as far as I know, with portraiture. And um, he currently has work in the show Face to Face, which is um, uh, raising money for the Global Fund for Human Rights. And you can currently see it in King's Cross. Um, but first of all, we're going to have a bit of a chat um, about your practice. So could you tell me a little about, bit about your work and how you came to make it? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, in terms of my overall practice, is that what you'd like to know? Yeah, I'd love to, if that's possible. Um, yeah, so I've been uh, working now um, as an artist for about 15 years. Um, mm-hmm. Previous to that, I, I, I had a career in museum and galleries, and uh, I'm I'm... You know, I'm known. I'm mainly known as a kind of fine art portraitist, but I've worked in installation and also moving into film and kind of sculptural work. Um, but I ended up uh, kind of jumping ship from a museum career to becoming an artist because 
I, you know, I'm British Asian and I felt incredibly invisible in the art world. And, yeah. uh, and it was, it was just that kind of sheer frustration that I wasn't really finding artists that were making work about the British Asian experience, uh, especially looking at working class communities and, uh, making, you know, ultimately trying to bridge the art historical canon. So, uh, you know, as, as an art historian, I studied the history of art at Goldsmiths. I, I really did think I was going to find those artists, but I, I, I didn't, sadly. So, yeah, I, I, I ended up, um, you know, switching careers mm-hmm. and have had, you know, exhibitions kind of all over the UK, across, you know, in the US, yes. and, and published four books now. And it's all looking predominantly at multiculturalism, the British Muslim experience. Uh, and kind of positioning uh, beautiful brown men and women as fine art portraiture, essentially. Yes, um, and a really important thing to do. It's interesting you say that you felt like you were filling a gap that wasn't there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what was interesting was that the work that I did end up seeing in those spaces, in museum and gallery spaces that I love, uh, were, I thought was massively ghettoizing. Mm. I felt like we would tend to be based in the education department where, mm. in this, with this idea of us needing educating with, with the arts. And, uh, and I just found it hugely patronizing and, um, and frustrating. And it, you know, it took me a long time to, to really feel like there was enough that I would, my voice was strong enough to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, that was the, that was the thing. Um, and I think it's changed. It's, it's, it's massively changed now. Um, but it was very rapid. I feel like the change has been quite instantaneous whereby all of a sudden a lot of artists have come, who've been working for a while on representation have suddenly come to the fore. Or got the attention that they deserve. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a combination, really, isn't it? I think, I think people have started to see that there is, there is opportunities uh, for artists uh, who are making work around that subject matter of representation or mm. blackness or identity politics, and 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 I, and 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 I also feel that you know there's been a, I think since the kind of age of social media, in particular Instagram, uh, these kind of these amazing young voices are coming through really and people are setting up zines and magazines and blogs and really trying to take ownership of their own representation, you know, in, in, across across the spectrum. And um, so yeah, but I would say for the last ooh, the last like five, six years, there's been a huge, huge influx of work looking at, you know, uh, identity politics or working class politics. So yeah, and, and and I think that's naturally coming into into the museum and gallery world, and and the arts have a responsibility, really. I think because that's those are spaces where you can have nuanced conversations and try and slow down the noise of popular culture as such. Absolutely, and the one the one of the positive things I think about Instagram is it's really revealed what people are genuinely interested in looking at. I think there's probably a lot of assumption before, but it's like people will follow it. You can see what's popular because people yeah, make a choice. 
Yeah, completely. And I think that's what, you know, I had, I, I had a, the biggest kind of show of my life in 2017 and uh, that was at Autograph in London. Yeah. And, you know, we had over 600 people come to the opening. Uh, within two months, we, we almost reached close to 2 million people online with the work and, you know, massive amounts of press. And, and I just met these incredible young, you know, 20-somethings uh, who are all just, you know, truly hungry to see themselves represented in these spaces and also really taking ownership of it as well. So, you know, I worked with a lot of young upstart magazines and bloggers and, and what was interesting, you know, taking that work around um, various museums you know, I was told the work wasn't kind of relevant, oh. but you know, it, it, it clearly, it clearly was, uh, <laughs> which was really, which was, which was great. So, and that's yeah, that's because I think the the younger generation have have a, such a strong voice now in terms of like producing visual culture in a way that I never had when I was their age. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful to see um, and see the impact it has as well. Mm. Um, but um, I want tell me a little bit about face to face. Yeah, so face to face is an, uh, a group exhibition that's curated by Echo Eshu, yeah. uh, a, a wonderful curator. Um, you know, but he was also a director of the ITA for a while, and and uh, was editor for Arena Magazine and the Face Magazine. Yeah, I've known Echo Echo for quite quite some time now, um, and. Um, he, you know, it's, a, it's an exhibition that's ultimately trying to, um, I guess, you know, challenge and demystify uh, countries outside of, you know, Western framework, essentially. And mm. I'm, my work is part of a series called Going Back Home to Where I Came From, which is a series of work that I made when I returned back to my motherland in Pakistan and Kashmir. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it's a body of work that ultimately was trying to kind of uh, ask the question, if my parents didn't decide to come over to England, what would my life have been like? So I retraced my mother's my mother's um, footsteps, went back to Kashmir, uh, went back to the village that she grew up in. Amazing. And, you know, yeah, and just kind of like relived her memories. You know, she would talk about how incredibly rich the landscape was and how diverse it was and and so I went out there kind of photographing the forest and you know going to the mountain regions and really kind of falling in love with with the light that was in Pakistan which felt really different um and was just kind of embracing this idea of of having fun with 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 my work photographically so um that particular series has lots of um play around light and shadow and textures and tones and there's a lot of abstract images and uh, landscapes as well so They're really so, beautiful yeah. pictures and that must have been a real um a really amazing trip to make yeah it was incredibly uh you know transformational i guess so I, I went out i went out twice and you know i was lucky enough both times there were it was a commission with an icon gallery and Great. the British Council helped support it and mm-hmm. um, you know and it was only it was in my it was the second time when I went up to Kashmir which is obviously when my mum uh, grew up that I really find, found this connection of you know home and you know I was conversing with my relatives um, in Urdu and 
eating yeah. walnuts on my mum's tree and, and you know just really kind of fell in love with this it, was, it felt like an incredibly middle middle class or upper class lifestyle you know yeah. people who own land and live off the land and enjoy enjoy all the richness and I just experienced what life could have been like if, if uh, in a, almost like a non-capitalist society and really feeling this idea of community and and um and also the, this, this, you know, the tranquility of it, and even my body felt great. Like the the the, the kind of the heat was right for my body. The the food tasted amazing, and um, yeah, it was a door that I've opened that I'll never be able to close. Um, and wonderful. you know, it, it was it, it was it was incredibly magical, and it was um, you know, it was it was difficult also because you know I was it was one of the first times that I've I've been. I went to a country where racism wasn't the kind of factor in my life, if that makes sense. You know, it was, it, we, yeah. I looked like I looked like everybody else. So did it? Feel, um, did it highlight? Did it make you look back at your life in Britain in a different way? Um, I always, I always, well, it, you know, we experienced a lot of racism growing up, and and uh, I just made it just made me think that I could have, you know, if. I wouldn't have suffered that type of violence and indifference. Um, but there would have been a very different type of uh, um, experience, I think, you know. Um, had the luxury of being educated to a degree level and play, you know, being an artist now. And you get, when I do go back to Pakistan, you do end up hanging out with, you know, the very um, established and, you know, just almost the super rich of, uh, of those communities. Uh, so, you know, I think I would have had a very humble experience if I, if my parents stayed in Pakistan, would have, you know. So it it, it comes with a double-edged sword, doesn't it? A little bit where you, you realise that, um, you know, the sacrifice that your parents made um, was all about education and furthering furthering us, you know, us on as uh, communities. But was and, there an and, element um, of of satisfaction of completion there for you that you felt like well you you had? achieved this you know amazing achievement not everybody gets to be an artist it's a fantastic achievement yeah I mean I, I, I guess yeah I, I, I think most people who are artists don't really don't choose it as part of you know who they are and uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm hugely grateful that I, I can make work that that's connects connects to my you know ancestral past and but also has a resonance uh, with you know issues around migration and questioning what homeland means and you know, yeah. especially especially now when we're you know we're still hearing stories of people being deported and, and yes uh, you know so it's suppressed it's, stories yeah and it's just it's just I, you know that's quite saddening isn't it that you still there very is much this, there is this threat that you know um britain might not one day be our home as such um and yeah, so it's, these are the kind of themes that I try and explore in my work. Well, it's definitely definitely needs addressing. Um, mm. So thank you. But and also, people can buy the pictures. Some of the in prints are for sale, aren't they? That are on show. Yeah. So, yeah, so part of um, the exhibition, which is supported by the um, the global the, the global fund. Um, We've they've given we've um, I think all five photographers have uh, um, donated a kind of special edition print 
Um, so it's I think um, if you go directly on on the uh, the website as such, um, and then you can you can uh, you can purchase purchase it. So you know and that's all kind of to, to help the the fund for global human rights kind of carry on doing the good work that they do. Wonderful. Wonderful. And then you can have a look at the photos on face to face dot photos, which I can see it's a gorgeous, beautiful images from yourself and the other participating artists. Yeah, my, my piece is this really beautiful uh, portrait of a man in a cemetery and it's got this kind of very painterly quality about it. In fact, it's, it's, it's my favourite portrait in, well, actually, yeah, I would say it's my favourite portrait in the in, in the book that I, that I published, so it's a, it's a special piece. So, yeah, it's very beautiful. Yeah, Thank you very much. Thank you. And um, if somebody wants to have a look at your book, what's the name of the book, if they want to have a look? So if they want to look at my book, it's called Going Back Home to Where I Came From. If, they, if they're interested in kind of finding out about my practice, um, you know, they can go directly to my website, which is mattabhussein.com and I've got an Instagram page with, with, with my name so um, yeah there's plenty online in terms of um, articles and reviews and things so All right, hopefully it won't be too difficult to find so. <laughs> wonderful and then the show is open for one more day it um, comes down on the 29th on Sunday tomorrow and, mm-hmm. um, it's, and it's at the King's Cross Tunnel which I think you get directed to from inside or outside the station yeah, and it's an incredible space. It's uh, this ninety-meter-long light box, essentially, yeah. and uh, you know the work has been, um, um, you know, carefully placed, and it's just this amazing color. And you know, I guess we hope uh, as you walk through the through the space from one end to the other, you're you, you're transformed as well, and your view on the global world is a bit dif- is different. You know, that that is that's the hope, I guess. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. And um, so in, for those listening, if you want to, you can have a look at www.humanrights.org and you can have a look at the Instagram, which is at Fund for Global Human Rights. That's all one word. Um, um, no punctuation. Uh, if you want to have a look at their Instagram as well. Thank you, Matab, for coming on the show and talking to us about it. It's really wonderful to hear about your work. And um, hope to hear more and speak soon. Okay, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye bye.
for sure First I'm gonna tell you something's wrong with it Then I'm gonna tell you no No need to read No need to read The label warning Oh no Just take to a me girl And promise you'll phone me in the morning to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio and that was a little bit of Parliament I'm going to make you sick coming up next we've got Tim Wells a real favourite of Roaring Twenties Radio show Tim Wells is uh, made of reggae lager top pie and mash and Leighton Orient FC Tim Wells brings us another short, sharp instalment from his pulp skinhead punk horror series. The new book is called Shine On Me and it's being crowdfunded with our friends over at Unbound. I really love this new this new direction that Tim's doing. Obviously, we all know him as a poet, but these sort of punk pulp fiction books are just fantastic. The Shine On Me is the new one. Here's what Phil Jupiter said. Skinheads and werewolves and reggae and booze 
boozers, lager and kicking in fat city losers, punk rock and stay press when Lena she sings. Tim Wells has written a novel about a few of my favourite things. You can feel the sticky floors of the gigs and the sweaty menace is tangible as you read Tim Wells' swaggering prose. This is no rose-tinted amble down memory lane. The landscape of his world is a London that was swallowed whole by the 80s. For a book so full of life, there's a lot of death in it as well. Beautiful, brutal, brutus. It's got the lot. And I couldn't agree more. That's a gorgeous, uh, gorgeous um, book blurb there from Phil Jupiter's. Let's hear a little bit of what Tim Wells has been writing. This is from his new book, Shine On Me, crowdfunding now with Unbound. Hello, this is Tim Wells. I'm reading a little bit from my new book, Shine On Me. Colic wasn't exactly raging. He didn't even crash at their nearby commune, Dialas, and was now drunkenly asleep. He'd brought a few bottles of cider, and it turned out the band preferred cups of tea, served in good china too. Not what he'd expected, but they'd been pleasant and answered all of his questions. He'd recorded the interview on a cassette and scribbled down a few notes as well. All of these were stuffed into his army surplus shoulder bag. There had been a couple of bottles of Meridan in there, but he'd started to drink these walking back from Dial House to the bus stop. It was evening, and he wasn't sure if buses came this way. He could walk to the tube, but the drink was making itself felt. At first, he'd swaggered along the side of the road, bellowing Crassie's song, Do They Owe Us A Living? For many a punk, Crassie's dropout anarchism was a lazy justification to drink cider, shout smash the system, and idleness. For Joe's grandparents, the idea of no police and no bosses made them more disciplined, not less. Northfield Tube is a commuter station, and helpfully, only open for peak hours. Colic would have to get a bus over to Epping, a bit of a journey, and then the tube to town. He still had decider, so he wouldn't be alone. As the second bottle started to spread its glow, Colic felt drowsy. He lay on the grassy verge by the bus stop, just for a moment, but soon drifted off into drunken slumber. His bag made a pillar, and he was laid out like a stone medieval knight on a tomb, albeit a scruffy one. It was the sharp snatch of a branch that woke him. Then the brushing of something through the twigs and leaves. He opened an eye, rolled it to his left and to his right, but saw nothing. He closed his eye and tried to drift off again, but then the crack of another twig jerked him fully to consciousness. It was coming from behind him, away from the road and over his left shoulder. He stood up to see what it was. Dusk had fallen, but he could still see as far as the bushes beyond the verge. The brambles and hazel were definitely moving. Badger, maybe. No, the movement was too high up. Then suddenly a pair of bright yellow eyes pierced the twilight. As his locked with them, all movement ceased. The evening fell silent. The brush of bushes had ceased and birdsong died. After a moment that seemed like a prog rock album, a figure stepped forward. The branches caught on the body, bramble snagged, slowed slightly, but relentlessly, whoever or whatever it was pressed relentlessly forward. Colic was slightly unsteady on his feet. He was still woozy from a nap and two bottles of strong cider, but his head was clearing quickly and the rosy glow of his drunk was fading as the cold clarity of the threat now facing him was now asserted. He could feel his bowels loosen. Fear or drink, he wasn't sure. Slightly hunched, but keeping the bright yellow eyes boring into his, Colic could see it was someone in Dr. Martin boots, jeans, a black and white down in the tube station, a midnight t-shirt and an open black Arrington. This someone was more of a something. 
a distant echo. The face was furred and the eyes shone fiercely from the snarling visage. The hands were curled and clawed. As the figure started to move slowly at first towards him, the hands flexed in and out from the ball of a fist to spread fingers and pointed claws. Colic wondered if the cross signal he painted painstakingly airfixed onto his black combat jacket had invoked some demon. As the figure advanced, it was obviously becoming clearer and clearer. It meant it no good. Colic stood transfixed, his face so taut with fear, three of his half-dozen spots burst. Though not a cold night, he could see the breath of the creature as it exhaled from its twisted nose. It was close now, and Colic could even smell it. Above the stink of his clothes, below the tang of his cider, there was musk. Breathing it in deeper, he realised it was more of a must, like that of porn found in a carrier bag under a hedge. Just then, Colic's funk burst. The beast was too close for him to run. It would be on him as soon as he turned. He reached down and picked up the cider bottle he'd been drinking from. He grasped the neck in his hand, a hand sweaty with cold fear. He swung once, twice, but the beast paused, led slightly back at the bottle arms harmlessly. Colic kept swinging, shouting, fuck off, fuck off repeatedly. The bottle landed on the beast's arm, but the limb was covered in coarse air. The skin was as leather, and the bottle bounced back without shattering. The force of the recall swung Colic's arm out and back. At the full extent, with the bottle in hand, extending his arm and opening up, the creature lunged. Claws raked Colic's face. Shreds of pimpled skin fell to the ground. Cuts of flesh plopped to the floor and pus rose through the gore. Blood poured thick, time ran thin. Joe was on the first tube back from Epping to London. He'd woken in the forest next to a muddy puddle. His clothes were a mess. Knowing it to be a full moon, he'd worn old gear. He washed his face as best he could in the accusing reflection of a puddle and got some of the dreck from his jacket and jeans. At least, on a train coming back from Essex covered in filth, such people as were about would just take it that you were a crass fan. They might have a feeding of the 5,000, but the wolf has to eat too.
a poem with a hat tipped to the rain in Portugal by Billy Collins. The rain in Cushendal, pop plump, runs as if fleeing a trap, racket mongering in a language stone old, cheek chiseling, someone once kissed it with their eyes, went blind. Stout perils prang onto each protruding tongue, daft enough to taste it. Skin bearers left reeling. Tongue can he bruise? Can it? Full metal jacket rain, porridge in the soil, missiling into cottage woods's darkest fissure. Rain to rattle the rhododendron out its floral hubris. Slake the thirst of every tentacle, gush the sycamore's nest of knots. An Irish hare with two dead legs limps beyond its shooting range. A direct hit will wreck a chip. Six will flood an open supper. Pothole to puddle in ten savage seconds. Yet never has it blasted fierce enough to stop Kearney's fleshers slicing rashers or Johnny Joe's filling pints so as warm-bellied, squelch-socked local seers might moot the weight in it. Whether it warbles, carries grit, whether the graves are listening. You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. We just had some Tim Wells reading from his um, crowdfunding book, uh, Shine On Me. Then we had Nina Simone, um, Cineman, the Felix de House Cat mix. <laughs> and then we had um, one of our friends, Michael Pedersen from Scotland. Let's have a little bit from Michael. And Michael, that was a beautiful poem. He's a Scottish poet, scribbler and stitcher. He's published two collections of poetry. He's won all sorts of awards and had his work anthologised by the likes of Pam Macmillan and Canongate Books. And he was a finalist for the 2018 Writer of the Year at the Herald Scottish Culture Awards. His poetry has attracted plaudits from voices as sexy as Irvin Welsh, Jackie Kay, Stephen Fry and Charlotte Church and the Roaring Twenties Radio love him too. Um, Pedersen also runs and co-founded the literary collected Nuiriki who've been swaggering a boot for over 10 years now. Another live event that I really miss. I really miss um, Nuiriki and I really look forward to going up to Edinburgh and seeing you all up there in the new year. What have you got over there Matthew? I've also got some beautiful poetry by poets who co-host nights. So first up is Antonio Jade King. She co-hosts Boomerang in London. Uh, she's a Barbican young poet. Her poem is called The Carol for Those Dreading Christmas, because I know that some people do. Um, and then after Antonia's poem, Cat Hepburn, she co-hosts Sonnet Youth. Uh, she's a Scottish poet and her poem is called Hashtag Girlhood. So it's Antonia Jade King followed by Cat Hepburn. Yeah, I guess this one it's from my chat book and it's about uh, the pressure of Christmas. Um, and I guess like it's an ode to everyone who has uh, a complicated relationship with Christmas. Um, so it's called The Carol for Those Dreading Christmas. You go downstairs for breakfast, forgetting to take your bonnet off. Your aunt's question, what is that, will start a war. You walk around your own family dodging grenades. Your cousin's laughter doesn't sound like home. 
You question why you are not laughing with them, why a battle cry leaps out of their mouth in place of laughter you walk. Inhale the country because in that house air that fills their lungs easily doesn't reach yours. Maybe they were given gas masks for protection, your other aunt will brag that her eyes are slightly more blue than the rest of theirs. The blue eyes see better, our blue eyes their weapon, your uncle apologises for the last time you were all together. Says he doesn't usually use that word, it was the alcohol, you wonder if your mother has ever used that word. How much alcohol it would take for her to use it now, you turn your side of the sofa into a trench. Question where they have drawn their battle lines. You go to bed at 9pm. Say you have a headache and you are not lying, you dream of what a peace treaty would look like, they don't even know they started a war. You remember the soldiers who stopped fighting to play football at Christmas, knowing they were going to kill each other at breakfast. Apparently, we use softer language and vocal tones to speak to girl baby bumps. See we boys, they kick inside us like Lionel Messi, but we girls are more sensitive. They get stressed at loud noises, you see. Sugar and spice and all things nice, life's pink frills, hearts and cupcakes, lipstick, unicorns and kittens, sparkles and princess glitter. Feminine is inoffensive, it's passive. We are passengers and men are at the driving seat. From day dot, we're easy targets for toy companies who slap words like caring, sweet, cute, love, friendship, mummy, magic, fun, fashion and babies all over the products that condition and shape who we then become. And all that girly stuff, dollies and pretty dresses, wearing lipstick or painting your nails invites judgment, you see. Because little girls can be whatever they want to be, as long as they're not distracted by meaningless and shallow femme practices. And on the other hand, if they're too butch or boyish or veer away from boundary norms in any way, then that is just as bad, if not worse. Thank goodness for adverts telling us it's cool to fight like a girl, run like a girl, have the body of a human woman. I wasn't sure until I saw that shower gel campaign. With each new generation, childhood is shrinking. Girlhood is a commodity packaged and sold back to us with extra tax. And we're sexualised far too young, padded bras and pre-marked for seven-year-olds, cheeky PJs with provocative slogans on the bums of young ones not yet old enough to have had their first kiss. Girls, options for you come in twos. Family or career, Madonna or whore, Wayne's or Baron Spinster or married. And please expect to get paid less than men. But don't worry, you can have it all. Get up, kids ready, work out, go to your job. Come on, you can show them who's boss. But you shouldn't be too bossy. That's not attractive. No, just smile and nod and make sure your day-to-night figure-hugging but not too slutty outfit matches. Don't let the cracks show. Be fun. Act caring but stay strong. Look young but live long. Whatever you do, don't get girlhood wrong. Better down here. I don't need a 
people that you mean your image See them starving on their feet Cause they don't get enough to eat from God Can't believe in me Dear God, sorry to disturb you But I feel that I should be here loud and clear We all need a big reduction in a to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. I'm going to read out some of tweets that we've had, some shout-outs um, of books and recommendations. Um, Anna, Anna Mahum <laughs> has tweeted in saying she was deeply moved by All We Can Save, an anthology of essays and poems written by women on the subject of climate and ecological crisis. I'll be looking out for that. Also, a shout-out for Elvis McGonagall. He's just about to sign off the final proof for his new book, complete and utter cult with burning eye books so look out for that that's going to be amazing we've played quite a lot of elvis on the show and hopefully we'll have some more from him soon um also we've had some shout outs 
for 10 stories to make a difference where they have are going to publish 10 new illustrated children's books it's a crowdfunder look it up the twitter is at pop-up festival um it's a pop-up projects and it's got chris riddell it's got laura dockrell it's got all these amazing writers being paired up with um illustrators to make 10 stories to make a difference um also i'd like to give a shout out for the common breath which is a new anthology it's got jenny fagin jan Galloway, Catherine Mansfield, David Keenan, who we had on the show last last month. Um, look that up. The Twitter is at Common Breath for more details. I think that's everything for now. Um, and then we're going to talk about the Pessimism is for Lightways translation. Yes, yes. We've been collecting every Tuesday. We've been sharing translations of my poem, Pessimism is for Lightweights. We've had all kinds. We've had Russian, um, Syrian. Um, oh, my goodness. We've had so many. We had Old English. We had Welsh. And this week we had a brand new one in from Gweno Saunders. And it's so beautiful. It's in the language of Cornish language. Um, so what did Gweno say about the project? So Gweno said, I loved exploring Selena's poem and it's fascinating how well it translates into a language that stems from a completely separate branch of a linguistic tree. Its directness is what makes it possible to do, I think, and what gives it its power. Um, so on the 30th of September, it was International Translation Day. To celebrate, Rough Trade posted the lyric of the Old English translation of Selena's poem, um, which was done by Emily Cotman. Um, and in an act of trying to come together and create some small attempt at unity on this planet, Rough Trade are inviting people from all over the world to translate Pessimism is for Lightweights into their chosen language. And then each week on hashtag Translation Tuesday, they'll post the video on their Instagram page, which is at Rough Trade Books. So I'd just like to say thank you so much to Gweno Saunders. The film that um, Gweno made is so beautiful, um, but this recording is just something else. So this is Pessimism is for Lightweights in Cornish. Prader and Re a Gasgerdas were in Fordma Kins, and Re a Vin Gasgerdas in Blithinio Adi. And for in skis, and for in hole, and for the ragony, and for the furnace, in my history, O Mires Rakpandra within. Thew and for the banerio, hamain vildirio, goes en roisi, huis a dagro, other heavens in sitter, other heavens in pole, a rig than for the maduria, drizzle then your wall. Thew and for the magris rakprotestia, Regan Rena gave Ragleva. Hanre is Seopesia omlad Ragspas Kausel, Gansbotia so stankia waragalonk. Emanel ha crevter in Gwilwales, Cavos vid Ragbos queer the thonan. Markilith Mires in Gwidder Mires, ha crisi ha dewi delvinith Kevrana marth in Taklo Beu, Tecter in Roso, Livro Hagarto. Car the Gentreveg habis kiv, agor the Golon than bees. Enna, a thesos, o quenya bewa, o kausel in tour, bos enno ha sevel in here, and tau eu scothiag, han me gilder with ori galar than yol. A theu gwithwales the thibogosion, ninsis linen win eun, and bothenno cromenno halesto. With O'Keel than Fordma Bozag and Hinini. A thou gwith well as the Thibozogion, Nivi and Fordma Bithquith is ag eun, 
hag ythyw byw-a yn cefer byw-a un ffyw ha byw-eg, ha carenza o'r ffetha cas.
Hi, welcome back to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. You've just heard Gweno um, performing her version, her Cornish language version of Pessimism for Lightweights, um, followed by a song from her album Lakov, Tear Hamor. Now we're going to hear a little bit about what's opening up next week in the art world. Um, it's I guess in London we got the go-ahead on Thursday, you know, that we're going into tier two, which means things can open, which is quite exciting after a month of nothing being open. But obviously my heart goes out to everybody in tier three. Um, so basically uh, this week, um, Lynette Yaden bioke um, is opening her show at Tate Britain. Lynette is a fantastic painter um really exciting to see her get a solo show at Tate she is I just urge you to go and see these wonderful paintings I haven't seen the show yet the press view isn't until this week but I will be I'm sure it's going to be a great one I'm really excited about that and while you're there you can go and see what's been kind of lighting up my Instagram feed in a really beautiful way is the Tate Britain Winter Commission, which is Chila Kamari Singh Burnham. And it's a wonderful celebration that I think um, the launch coincided with Diwali. And it's just a beautiful lighting up of the outside of the Tate Britain building. Just what we need right now. Right, it looks so beautiful. Yeah, just full of joy. And you can go and you can sit and um, you can have a secret hot toddy and chat to your friend in the bathed by this beautiful artwork and neon lights very nice also open this week is jennifer packer a painting show that's opening at the serpentine galleries in um, the middle of kensington gardens that is free but you have to book online and also reopening everything is reopening so i would just i think mainly I'm not sure about commercial galleries, but museums, your local museums and galleries are opening next week, so you can book and go. Another thing that's reopening is the Artemisia Gentileschi show, Artemisia, which is, um, I think, probably booking up as we speak, but that's worth getting a ticket for, wonderful show there. And um, just among the smaller shows that I know are opening is the Polly Morgan show at the Bomb Factory. Wonderful... um, unless you're not into taxidermy, but I think it's ethically sourced taxidermy artworks that she does that kind of walk this fine line of um, beauty and revulsion that are really, really beautiful. And I would just, yeah, look up your local gallery, your local museum, because um, you can go again. So that's if, you, if, we're, if you're in tier two. So that's quite exciting. Um, and that's it for my um, go and see that thing this month. <laughs> go and see that thing. This month. <laughs> and yeah, and I think now the guys are going to tell you a bit about a wonderful project they've been working, raising money for Black Minds Matter. And I, it's called Birds, isn't it? Yeah, so this is a, a collaboration between the Tung Fu Band, of the Tung Fu Collective, and three poets, one of which is Selena, as well as uh, Vanessa Kasuli and Holly McNish. Uh, we released it as a single on the 13th, and 100% of the proceeds are going to Black Minds Matter UK, um, which was originally your idea, Selena. It was. Yeah. So you were commissioned to write this by Tung Fu a couple of months back. Yeah, Tung, I mean, everything's taking longer in lockdown, as we all know. And, and so Tung Fu approached me, I think in the spring or early summer, and said, would I like to write something with Holly and Vanessa? And as I was writing it and as we were thinking about it and as I was looking at what 
um, Holly and Vanessa were writing and thinking about it, I was I saw there was a, there was real themes there, themes of birds, themes of flying, themes of outside, being in touch with nature, and so. Um, at the same time, I was talking to Olivia at Black Minds Matter, um, so it seemed to me to make sense to put the two together and put you with Nymphs and Thugs and Tung Fu and Black Minds Matter and work together and, and then just put it out digitally as a single, instead of just putting it out as a video, like, look, we made a thing, like, why not try and raise some money for people to have free counselling and therapy in the black community um, this year has been um, appalling. Yeah, so Black Minds Matter UK's mission is to connect black individuals and families with free mental health services by professional black therapists to support their mental health. To make this happen, they want to make mental health topics more relevant and accessible for all black people in the UK, removing the stigma and remodelling the services to be relevant for the black community. Um, as well as the incredible collaboration between the poets and the Tung Fu Band, we also had some artwork commissioned by a Leeds-based artist. Oh, it's so beautiful. Uh, yeah, which is an illustration of some styling. So the, the artist is called Cypher Rehman Manzer Khan. Uh, it's an illustration of some stylings with a murmuration like inside the birds. So that links back to what Dan Cockrell was speaking about earlier. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the track is exclusive on Bandcamp, you get the video, you get a PDF booklet with the lyrics. It's five pounds, but you can pay more if you want. It will be on all of the streaming sites and digital stores in the new year, but we wanted it to be exclusive on Bandcamp because that maximizes the money that goes to Black Minds Matter UK. Um, so yeah, Birds, it's an absolutely beautiful track. I'm so, so proud to have been involved in it in a small way. Um, you should. We're gonna play it now. Uh, please go and check it out if you can afford and support BMM UK. You ever hung at the waist from an unwashed window? Got wind drunk, spring blossom tipsy, tongue out to taste the flavor of air this still. Lately, I've been vibing with wagtails. They've got the lolloping hydraulics of Snoop Dogg's car in the Still Dre video. There's a goofy magpie that flirts with me on lucky cloud-strewn mornings. He acts like he owns the sky. They all do. Do they feel free without the thick exhaust of human chatter, our prep crumbs and post-club potato shrapnel? Our ghost towns are their playgrounds. Play on, Mr. Wagtail. Play on. The pavement owes me nothing. The flowers, the ponds, the wasps with revenge in their asses owe me nothing. Their beauty a gift, my presence a glimmering happenstance. Have you ever eaten crisps at a funeral? Crunching brazenly as the vicar starts a speech Skyped into your living room. There is no need to wear black, now nobody can see you sobbing loudly as a choir that is not allowed to sing. The world outside my window owes me absolutely nothing, but it sang for me that day. Two pigeons on the gate kissed. Goldfinch feasted on the holly berries. Starlings chatted in the air, blue tits tapping in the trees. Wiping salt from soggy cheeks in time with every tear. Have you ever hung all your hopes out like washing on the line and then watched the sky darken with rain 
There's no need to wear black, but you do, and it hides nothing, and holds your weather inside. In the dead of night, you catch yourself falling. The next morning, you rise and sing, I owe you everything. The best of me, at least we owe each other that. Dawn chorus, first light. The blackbird call is loudest of all. A million feet march to beating drums. You hold a book like a map. The writer reminds you we've been here before. And there is another road. Follow the river of tears and of survival and of endurance and of love and courage. The clouds will pass and all your hopes are birds with songs that are true and free. That was Birds by Tung Fu, featuring Selena Godden, Vanessa Kasuli, and Holly McNish, and it's out now through Nymphs and Fugs. So that's the end of episode 12. We've done 12 shows now. Oh. Yeah, it's a full year. That's amazing. I'd just like to say thank you to you two, and I really, it really is the highlight of my lockdown has been making this radio show. It's really been keeping me sane. And I also want to say thank you to the people that are tuning in and tweeting us and sharing our show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you too from me. And yeah, it's just, I can't believe that we've done a whole year and what a year it's been. I kind of, I think, and I've said this before, so forgive me, but I can't believe we sat down at this very table and thought that people might be interested in a show about climate change, politics, representation, um, platforming, people who don't usually get a platform, I can't, and yeah, and really, I think they did. And calling it Roaring Twenties. Yeah, I think that they did. I think that they did. And I mean, uh, it's been a horrid year, but maybe turn it, the tide is turning. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you to you two. And yeah, let's, let's just bring you more of the same. Yeah, it's been a tough year, but it's it's changed a lot of things for the good in the long term, I think. So thank you to you two for giving me this opportunity. Um, and if you've missed any previous episodes, they're all available as a podcast in your standard podcast provider. Um, give us a follow at Roaring Twenties Radio. Stay safe, stay alert. Um, <laughs> and we'll be back next month with a best of, I think. I think, yeah, I think we might do a best of for December, but tune in to find out if we do or don't. Dun, dun, dun. We're going to play you out with some Lee Scratch Perry. Let's stay in that Caribbean feeling. And don't forget to watch Small Axe on Sunday. Yep, tune in for Red, White and Blue. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.